Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, and welcome once again to History Dweebs. I am Tim, and the topic of our podcast today is the assassination of Huey P. Long. Huey Long, uh, for those of you who are not familiar with the story, was uh, governor of Louisiana for a long time. He was also a U.S. senator, and he was assassinated. Um, And we're going to talk about uh, his uh, life and um, the events leading up to his assassination, some of which are still kind of in dispute today. Um, but before we do, uh, I'd like to introduce uh, my co-host. Uh, I should start off by saying uh, Brandy is not with us today. She has a uh, some family uh, issues going on, so she won't be here for this podcast, but we hope that um, she'll be back with us soon. Um, but in the meantime, let me introduce my co-host, the very honorable, um, the moral compass of our podcast, um, and uh, really uh, a, a leader among men, men, the very honorable Reverend Colonel Charles Beauregard Hawk Waters III, affectionately known as the Southern Gentleman. How are you today, Colonel? Couldn't be better today, Timmy. I got to uh, go up to Chicago. Uh, spend some time with the boys. This is over Thanksgiving. Over Thanksgiving, and uh, so you had. Did you have a good time? We had a really good time. The awesome. boys didn't. The boys didn't torment me. Oh, well, that's um, good. well they, I mean, they tormented me to the point where you know. Yeah, but just limited, to. limited torment. Yeah, they kept it down. Yeah. They kept it down to you know. Taylor asked me a very interesting question, Tim. Mm-hmm. He said, uh, "Dad," and we're just sitting on the couch, and Taylor's reading a book, and. He just says, Dad, you ever think about birdhouses? About birdhouses? Birdhouses. Okay. And I said, Taylor, I, I, I spend very little time, son, thinking about birdhouses. He's like, where do birds live, Dad? I said, well, they live in nests and trees. And he said, so we cut down the trees to get the wood to make the birdhouses. That does seem... A contradiction is a paradox. It just it it scares me how the boy's mind works. <laughs> well, but he's got a point though. He does yeah. have a point. But I'm I'm excited. We're we're sad. I'm very sad for the devil. She's got some. Um, and and the devil's not private about this stuff. So we'll just say it. Her grandmother is not doing well. Yes. And she is in our thoughts. Absolutely. And, you know, she could not be here today. So while since the devil could not be here today, Timmy, 
it, it allows us, since she can't be here, to do higher-level history, Timmy. And, yeah. and so you mean uh, we're going to be able to do some topics that we, you know, kind of above, above her head? Above her head. Yeah. And, you know, everybody talks about Donald. Uh-huh. You know, everybody wants to talk about Donald. Donald Trump? No, Donald Duck, Timmy. <laughs> okay. But well. nobody wants to get into the details because it's a shady history. It's a sordid thing uh-huh. about Huey, Louie, and Dewey. How did they come about? No, no, no. This is about Huey Long, Colonel. Not, not, not Huey, uh, the nephew of Donald Duck. Huey okay. Long, who was the U.S. senator, governor, and potential presidential the candidate. The Kingfish. The Kingfish. The yes, Kingfish. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, I got a, I got you, a bunch of stuff here on on a bunch of ducks. <laughs> So we Maybe we'll do to... that one next time, Colonel. Let me talk. Let me, uh, okay, before well, we get started. Okay, can, can you give me a couple minutes to regroup here, Timmy? Regroup a gonna... little bit, Colonel. And uh, when you, while you're doing that, I'll give a shout out to our sponsors on Patreon. How's that sound? Okay, that sounds good to me. This is a... Uh, I know. It, it, I feel you, a little unprepared now. <laughs> you're a little embarrassed now, you seem. <laughs> I'm... I'm... Okay, so we want to give a shout out to our the folks who support us so generously on Patreon. Um, uh, if you would like to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash history dweebs. You can give a little, you can give a lot, or how much, Colonel? You can just give a wee little bit if we you did. like. Everything helps, and we're very, very grateful for all the support that, um, that you provide us. And um, we have uh, a, a list of patrons that we'd like to give a shout out to because they do support the podcast, and uh, we just we're very grateful to them. And those are Alicia and Chip. We got a new um, Patreon sponsor who's very sweet, and she also is new to our uh, group on Facebook, and that's uh, Jen Moyer. Jen, uh, very generous. Thank you so much for your support. And for joining our group. Uh, she says she's been listening for uh, a while. And uh, she just joined the group and also now a Patreon uh, supporter. So thank you very much, Jen. Uh, Brandy McBride, uh, thank you, Brandy, for your support. Andrew Happ, Lisa, I hope I said that right, Lisa. Uh, Amber uh, Scoville, uh, Jahara, uh, of course, Jennifer Siemens and her son, Hunter. And mom, Linda, thank you very much. Angelo. Um, Angelo, thank you for your support. Bridget uh, Clavy, thank you, Bridget. Um, Cindy Lou uh, has been a sponsor for us for some time now, as has Charlie from the Insight Podcast. We thank you all very much. And, of course, the Wonder Dog, Rudy, who is a, uh, I think he's using us for tax purposes, but, you know, he, he's not really, he's not really, uh, you know, going above and beyond. But, Rudy's, you know, we appreciate Rudy's always working stuff. an angle on something, too. Yeah, I think he's... I think he's anticipating some of the changes in the tax laws and thought he'd get, mm. he'd get uh, jump in and support us. But we appreciate it, Rudy. I, you know, uh, and, and this is a. Uh, I, I have found my dog to be embarrassing at times to me. Oh, really? Why is that? Yeah, the, because the dog can be incredibly um, sexist. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't know that. Yes, he. If Renee is walking him. And a male approaches, you will hear a low growl emitting mm-hmm. from the Rudy's throat. Okay. And you've been you've been around Rudy, yeah, right? Yeah. Rudy's a friendly dog. He I mean, is. he's a lovable guy. He's a good, mm-hmm. But if it's just Renee, and she's just walking, just her alone, 
Rudy will, he, every man that he sees is like, yeah, I know what you want to do to my mom, or mm. just move along, nothing to see here. So he's uh, in protective mode. I, I think he's jealous, that's what I think <laughs> it is. Yeah, you, but, don't want to, you don't want to share her affections. Yeah, he's a good boy, and uh, the he can keep the love offerings coming. His back is healing up. No, oh, that's but, good. Uh, he's, 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 a, he's in recovery Pushed now. a disc in t- his back, yeah. Is he on Oxycontin yet? He is on Tramadol, doggy painkillers. <laughs> um, and it was kind of funny to see him because he get a little... Uh, Rudy's an energetic, energetic dog. Uh huh. So he's like mellowed out. And yeah, oh, he's all chilling. He's got, Floyd or... he's got Netflix on. <laughs> I'll come in. He's got his headphones on, eating Doritos. I think it works like marijuana. Yeah. All right. But, well, but he's doing good, so I'm glad. Uh, shout out to Rudy. Thank you for your support, Rudy. All right. Let's um let's talk about Huey P. Long. You want to? Let's do that, Timmy. Okay, so uh, Huey Pierce Long Jr. was born on August 30th, 1893 in Winfield, um, which is in the uh, Wynn Parish, a small town in north-central Louisiana. So I know you being a southern gentleman, you're, you're very well, familiar with that's that. Close to, that's close to, the, close to the heart, Timmy. That's where the Colonel family hails from. Yeah, so you probably you probably have a lot of uh, you're very familiar with Huey Long. So I know I'm sure I, he's... I know the Kingfish well, and luckily you know I got you, you threw me off because you when you said we were doing Huey. Yeah, I know. I he assumed we'd do his brothers, uh-huh. um, but luckily I'm able to adapt quickly because I know a lot about Huey. All right, well, good. I'm glad. So our listeners, I'm sure, are probably relieved. Uh, he was born the son of Huey Pierce Long Sr., obviously. And his mother's name was Catalonia, which is a kind of a weird name, but whatever. He was the seventh of nine surviving children. So he grew up in a, a farm family, but they were middle class. And uh, he was homeschooled as a young man. He later attended school, uh, but at first he was homeschooled. And he had a remarkable memory. He did well. I mean, he comes, I mean, if you know the story of Huey Long, and if you ever see him on newsreels, old newsreels. He looks kind of like a buffoon, but he actually was pretty intelligent in terms of, uh, I mean, I think he, he uh, uh, went one year of college at uh, Louisiana State and before he took the bar exam. Uh, and he talked him into allowing yeah. him to take the bar. Yeah, Louisiana is one of the few states in, in, the, in the country where you can just sit for the bar exam. You don't have to have a law degree or anything. So, you know, this, and this is a timely one, Timmy, because there's some, what you're going to notice in through here are, you know, again, we don't get too political on our show, mm-hmm. but there are some, you know, this, this election we have was a, you know, I, we haven't really seen anything like it. Right. You know, I mean, we yeah, and, and, and Huey Long has, I mean, Donald Trump has drawn, drawn comparisons. There's been tr- comparisons drawn to Huey Long. To him, Huey Long got, and you'll get into that, but he, he found a, uh, a resource of power that had not been tapped right. before. And most of these were people who, in, in, who had kind of been left behind. Right. And we're, so we'll get into that. 
militarily. But, but I mean, it's very. But it, it's, it depends on what side of the fence you're on politically, I guess. Or it, people, you know, like with Trump, I think people either love him or they hate him. And that was the way with Huey Long. And with Huey Long, they thought that he was either a savior or a Satan. Yes, exactly. You know? And, and, and uh, there's arguments to be, to be made for both, I think. Yeah. And I, and I think Huey Long turned out to be a little bit of both. I mean, yeah. he, you know, he, he turned out to be. Um, he's he's just to me one of the most interesting characters. He really he really is. Um, so let me get back a little bit to his background. In 1908, after completing the 11th grade, um, he circulated a petition protesting. They they added the 12th grade, and um, he protested that he would have to go another year, and he got kicked out of school. But he won a debating scholarship, at, and he got a, a year's uh, scholarship to Louisiana State LSU, which kind of became his alma mater. And he, when he later became governor and senator, he really built that school up uh, a lot of, you know, through uh, state uh, funds that uh, Louisiana State University became what it is today. And so he was a uh, real uh, supporter of LSU, all the way up to his death. Um, but Huey got bored in college, so um, he had the uh, gift of gab, and so he spent uh, five years after high school as a traveling salesman, uh, selling books, selling canned goods, uh, patent medicines. Uh, so he also worked as an auctioneer. And he related well to people, and he, he uh, had, like I said, he had the gift of gab, uh, as I know you can relate to, Colonel. Uh, uh, you've been, been known in, to tell a tale, too. You have, you have, and, uh, so you can uh, relate to that. So um, he was in sales. Uh, in 1913, uh, he married Rose McConnell. Uh, she was uh, come to buy <laughs> some... Um, some called cotton ale, which he was selling. It was a vegetable shortening. Like Crisco. Yeah, it was like Crisco, Crisco at the day. time. Uh, and they met uh, in 1913 and was soon married. They had uh, a daughter named Rose. They had two sons, Russell, who later became a seven-term U.S. senator, and Palmer, uh, who later became an oil tycoon. Uh, when cells uh, grew uh, scarce during World War I, uh, Huey decided he was going to go to the seminary, uh, so he went to Oklahoma Baptist University to become a uh, you know, preacher uh, because he had this gift of gab, but uh, that kind of bored him. So uh, he decided instead he was going to be a lawyer. Well, the Lord's work is not for everybody. I know. And it's, they're just so, and it takes know. a commitment to feel. It's like when a devil's in here, she likes to say she's a reverend too, but she does not put the, she does not put the effort into it. She does not put the... Well, she's kind of representing the dark side. Well, and I was going to say she doesn't put her heart and soul in it, but she doesn't have a soul. Exactly. So she, exactly. And I don't know that she has a heart. We don't know. But when, you know, at some point, they'll do a kind of post-mortem on her, and we'll, we'll, we'll figure well, it she, out. I believe she has a heart because you'd have to drive a stake through it to kill her. I see. I so. see. So anyway, um, he, uh, Louie, attended Oklahoma School of Law in Norman, Oklahoma, for a while until uh, his funds ran out. He transferred to uh, Tulane University Law School. That's in New Orleans. Again, after a year, he ran out of money, and money would be a problem. In 1915, though, he convinced the board to let him take the state bar exam. 
and he did well. He passed, um, you know, which, hey, let me tell you, as someone who's went through law school, there are a few chosen people who can sit for the bar without any prep after mm-hmm. law school. Maybe if you're like, uh, uh, you know, like you're the top in your class, but most people do not. Most people study uh, today for at least two or three months prior to taking it. How he could take the law, um, the bar exam without going to law school was amazing. What what surprised me, a friend of mine um, just passed bar a couple of years ago, and she you know, did it later. I say later in life. She was about 33 when Mm -hmm. she did it. And I did not realize that it's basically once you graduate from law school, then you are taking other classes to prepare for the bar. And they're very expensive classes. She said, I I believe she spent close to $5,000 preparing to take the bar. Absolutely. And it's, it's, and you know, and, and if you pass the first time, a lot of people don't pass the first time. So, um, yeah, it's, that's why when I, when I completed law school and I decided, you know, I didn't want to be a lawyer, I was not going to waste the time and energy to take the... Well, what would have been your advantage other than having, I mean, you would have had to do the continuing education. Exactly. You and you that. have to, you would have the, uh, malpractice insurance you would have to right. carry. I mean, it's, it's a very <clears throat> expensive proposition right. and, you know, mine, my, my my focus was in on labor and employment law, which I use, you know, which I can use in my job. So um, it just didn't seem. It, and when you graduate from law school, I don't want to get sidetracked in this, but if you're 22 and your a firm hires you, you know, you're going to spend you'll you'll spend five to seven years without ever seeing inside of a courtroom. You're just mm-hmm. doing research and you're working 80 hours a week, and you know it's it it pays off eventually, but you have to put a lot of uh, a lot of hours in, and they don't want someone who's forty years old. They want someone right. who's twenty two. Who's twenty two? They can pay very little, and, and they can work eighty five hours a week. Exactly, and, exactly. And uh, so, and then the other option is, as you mentioned, is private practice, and that you need a you know you need some money up front to mm-hmm. establish a clientele. So, so Huey taking the bar exam and passing it, um, it's kind of astonishing. And that's what's kind of the contradiction in this guy, that he came across as uh, a boob. Well, and, you know, the term that he used and the term that they use in Louisiana for the for the poor folk, mm-hmm. poor rural folk, they called them shit kickers, mm-hmm. shit kickers. And, mm-hmm. and he was basically a shit kicker. And, mm-hmm. he, and he was extremely intelligent, but he never really let that come to the fore. He never showed that side in public. Right. He always seemed like a very simple, down-to-earth Yeah, man. so he could relate to. And yeah. we have to talk, you know, it, to set the scene a little bit, uh, Louisiana was, uh, you know, a last in almost every measure that, uh, you know, economically you could have. Education, it was last. Uh, highway, mm-hmm. it was last. Schools, yeah. it was hospitals. last. Hospitals. Hospitals. Uh, so... Um, Huey, you know, it was a kind of a fertile environment for someone like Huey Long to come along and yeah. uh, take advantage of it. But anyway, he, in 1915, he passed the bar exam. He begins a, a uh, uh, begins private practice in Winfield, um, Louisiana. Later, he moved to Shreveport, larger city. 
and he represented small plaintiffs against large businesses, including workman's comp cases. So he was working for, you know, the little man, the little guy. And, and that, what, was, that what, was something that would he continue throughout his political career. What did he brag about, Timmy? Uh, I don't know. Tell said, me. said, I never took a case against a poor man. Oh, yes. Never took, never a, took a case, never against, took a case against a poor man. And, of course, one of the most powerful um, corporations in Louisiana at the time was Standard Oil, right? Because they had, they had all you know right. all the oil fields. They there. ran Louisiana, yeah, in the Gulf, but pretty much like BP does today. Yeah, today, yeah. Um, and um, Huey took him on. I mean, he sued him for unfair uh, business practices, uh, and he, you know, continued to, throughout his whole career, even after he became governor and senator, to really uh, go after Standard Oil, and that. Um, you know, he thought that he said they were exploiting the state and taking the state's resources without giving anything back, and uh, that made him a hero to you know the working class in Louisiana and the poor in Louisiana. It made him an enemy to the establishment in Indiana, uh, in, in Louisiana. I'm sorry, uh, and to you know, and to the wealthy and to big business. So um, he, uh, you know, he started this uh, this. Uh, David versus Goliath uh, 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 struggle when he started his uh, uh, law career. Now, there's a, to me, not that, sorry to interrupt. No, it's okay. There's a great album, um, Randy Newman, Good Old Boys. Mm-hmm. You ever heard it? No. It's basically about Huey Long, mm-hmm. um, and it's about Louisiana, life in Louisiana during that time. Randy Newman's from Louisiana. and uh, I just know him for short people. Short people and and a uh, Buzz Lightyear song. You yeah. got a friend of me, but Good Old Boys is it's from back in the seventies. Um, you probably heard the song. Let's drop the big one now. Yes, um, it's that's on that. But uh, but he 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 gets into you know he, he writes a couple songs about um, the Kingfish. Kingfish. Okay, and and we should explain. Huey got the nickname. He was nicknamed the Kingfish. And that name was uh, given to him kind of as an insult. Mm-hmm. Um, the Kingfish uh, was, and we don't want to jump too far ahead, but the Kingfish was a character on a radio show at the time called Amos and Andy. And uh, there was a character on there of a kind of a bolsterous mm-hmm. uh, boob yeah. uh, who was always trying to sell people things they didn't need. Uh, and his name was the Kingfish. Well, his opponents started calling when he started his political career. Mm-hmm. Huey Long's opponents started referring to him as Kingfish, and instead of being insulted by it, he he accepted the monitor. And actually, he, he turned it. it around and used it against him because his one of his slogans became "Every Man a King." Yes, yes. So, so it's kind of like I guess with Obamacare, you know how that was kind of an insult. Yeah. And then later on, Obama later. said, oh, "You know, President Obama said, oh, I kind of like that. I like, I like it. it. I yeah. want it." Yeah. yeah. So it's the same with him. That's that's how King Fiction came about. But anyway, uh, in 1918, uh, he decided to get into politics, and he. Did so for campaigning for the Railroad Commission, and uh, he went door to door. You know, it was a grassroots campaign. He drove all over Louisiana. He printed circulars and posters, uh, you know, did all these stops, and he would, you know, uh, give these speeches wherever he could at uh, PTA meetings or at county fairs. Uh, It was really, like I said, a grassroots campaign. 
effort, and he was elected. Uh, he was elected um, and uh, moved to Shreveport. That was 1928. Um, and he also then ran for, um, while well, on the commission, uh, there were oil companies were placing, uh, uh, the uh, commission had uh, regulatory authority over the oil companies, uh, and uh, he fought uh, to raise their um, taxes on the oil companies, uh, and uh, he won. He won. And so uh, there again, this whole, uh, you know, he, he's starting early off in his career fighting for the little man against the interests of big oil and the monopolies at the time. Um, but, you know, it wasn't for long that he, uh, the Railroad Commission was, you know, he had greater ambitions. Mm -hmm. So he ran for governor in 1920. Uh, or, I'm sorry, he, uh, he campaigned for John Parker, who was running for governor in 1920. Uh, but when he was elected, uh, he kind of had a falling out. So in 1924, um, Long ran against Parker. And he tied Parker to Standard Oil and the political hierarchy. Uh, you know, he promised to drain the swamp. As, and know. that's, and again, there's a contradiction with Huey Long here. Because he, Parker, he, he believed in him and campaigned for him. And then he found out kind of the first reality of real politics. Mm -hmm. and, and Parker was really beholden to Standard Oil, and that really disillusioned Huey Long. Yes. So four years later, 1924, he, he, runs, uh, he runs against him. And um, he was known, Louis was, uh, Huey was known for wearing uh, white linen suits. I know you wear a lot of white linen suits. I like a little seal sucker now and then. Yeah, he white became, linen. And, yeah. It became his trademark. Um, now, in, 19, in the election in 1924, he came in third... Um, and in, he and another candidate had uh, privately opposed the Ku Klux Klan, which was very powerful at the time, um, which, you know, in Louisiana at the time, it was, you know, the Klan was very prominent, so, you that know. It was a political organization you know, back Exactly. Um, but Louis said that, that rain on election day was suppressing the voter turnout. It's a rigged election. And uh, so where his voters were in northern Louisiana, where he was, it was a stronghold, they were unable to get to the polls because the dirt roads had turned to mud. Again, it, you know, there was very few uh, uh, highways. And, and I don't know that there was a blacktop road in northern yeah, Louisiana. at the time. Yeah. So, so instead, Long um, was reelected to the Public Service Commission, uh, and he spent between the years between 1924 and 1928, building his reputation uh, and his political organization. Uh, he started to get a name for himself, uh, and in 1928, he ran again for governor, and this time with the slogan, as you said, uh, Colonel, he ran as a populist with the slogan, every man a king, but no one wears a crown. He adopted that from uh, another populist Democrat. Uh, Huey Long was a Democrat, although... Um, he took on both parties. He yeah. he was not your typical uh, establishment. Kind of Bernie Sanders. Bernie day. Sanders, or again Donald Trump as a Republican. Donald Trump um, is yeah, a he, Republican. Yeah, yeah, without establishment support. But anyway, um, his slogan: "Every man a king, but no man wears, but no one wears a crown." 
he adopted that from the presidential uh, presidential candidate at the time, William Jennings Bryan, who, of course, ran for president, never did win, but he was a populist like Huey Long. And Huey ran in 1928, uh, attacking uh, the oil industry. He attacked utilities and the privileged, the wealthy. Uh, he said they were parasites who grabbed more than their fair share of the public wealth uh, at the expense of the poor. Uh, he crisscrossed the state, campaigned in rural areas where, again, people were disenfranchised, like we, you know, we were talking about uh, the comparisons to the 2016 race. Um, so uh, at that point, you know, New, uh, Louisiana was uh, ran by uh, political bosses in New Orleans, uh, and he give <laughs> it's kind of funny. He'd give his uh, political opponents funny nicknames mm-hmm. like uh, like yeah. Buzzard. Yeah. In line with... Uh, like Crooked like, Hillary. Yeah, like uh, Donald Trump with low ebb, low energy uh, mm-hmm. jab and uh, Lion Ted Cruz. I mean... Um, Little Marco Rubio. Yeah, so uh, uh, Huey Long did, you know, the same thing. Uh, at the time, as we mentioned, the entire state had about 300 miles of paved road and only three bridges in the yeah. entire state. The literacy rate at the time was uh, in, the, uh, in the nation, uh, they had, sev- or in, in Louisiana, was the lowest in the nation. They had 75% illiterate rate in Louisiana. Literacy. Yeah, most families could not afford to purchase textbooks uh, required to send their kids to school. So if you were poor, you, if you, even if you could go to school, if you couldn't afford the textbooks, you were out of luck. Uh, there was a poll tax, of course, that people had to pay Poor white people had to pay just to vote mm-hmm. alone. You know, African Americans left entirely out of the uh, uh, voting process, and that you know that, that suppressed two million votes right there. Um, so only about three hundred thousand could afford to register the vote. Uh, in addition, uh, to they were literacy te- literacy tests for blacks, uh, and they had to take before they could uh, you know vote. Uh, this was, you know, the Jim Crow South, mm-hmm. and so um, there was a lot of barriers in the way, a lot of voter suppression going on. But um, Long uh, won the 1928 gubernatorial race by tapping into class resentment among royal Louisianans. And like I said, uh, and this is probably even true to this day, there are people in Louisiana who think Louis uh, Huey Long was the Greatest thing that ever happened to mm-hmm. the state. Yeah. And as you said, there's people who think he was a dictator, and probably the truth is he was a little bit of both. But yeah. um, he uh, proposed government services far more expansive than any time in the state history. Once in office as governor in May, on uh, May 21st, 1928, he moved quickly to consolidate his power. He fired hundreds of opponents in the state bureaucracy. Um, so uh, at uh, at all ranks of the cabinet levels, all the way down to, you know, people working on roads. I mean, he put his people in, you know, it was a patronage system, and he used it to his full advantage, much like, you know, his opponents had done. And uh, one interesting thing that he did, Timmy, is that he, he, here's another one, is that he um, played the poor... Um, white working class mm-hmm. against Cajun class down in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and, and one of the things that you say, you know, you, your house could burn down and ain't nobody in New Orleans care about you. Uh-huh. You know, so there was that kind of, there was kind of a racial thing that he had going there too. Sure. That the, the Cajun, you know, in the southern part of the state, they don't care about you. Mm-hmm. You know, I care about you. Right. They don't care about I'm you. I'm one of you. <clears throat> I'm one of you. They're the problems. Mm-hmm. And, and it kind of got, you know, the, the people in the northern part of the state started thinking, ah, these poor Cajun people, well, they're my problem. Yeah. You know, not Standard Oil, even though he they knew Standard Oil was. And mm-hmm. he came in, you know, with the thing, said, I'm going to take Standard Oil and I'm going to kick the ass and mm-hmm. I'm going to do whatever. But, but he did. And, and so one of the interesting things he did was in his inauguration, he invited everybody from northern, because Louisiana was two states. Mm-hmm. You had the north and you had the south. Right. Where you got New Orleans, Baton Rouge. Mm-hmm. Um, he invited everybody from the north down for his inauguration as governor. Mm-hmm. And many of those people came, and they, they didn't really know what to make of these, you know, mm-hmm. chick kickers. They showed up there. Um, so yeah, it's kind of almost like <clears throat> Andrew Jackson bringing in... Uh, you know his, his supporters into the White House after being inaugurated. Yeah, and, yeah. But um, yeah, he was a man. You know, he was the voice of of the common man and 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 woman there in Louisiana. Uh, but it didn't, of course, it didn't set well with the establishment at the time. Certainly didn't stand well with the you know the uh, corporate Standard Oil and the. Uh, uh, ruling class there, um, so uh, but he he went he went about filling vacancies in the state with his people, putting his people in charge from the very bottom to the very top, uh, so that he not only was governor but he was getting uh, you know if you had a job at the state he owed it to you alone, mm-hmm. and he made sure that you know there may be a time when that bill come due. You were expected. You, you, if you didn't pay, you was gone. Yeah, right. Exactly. So he pushed a number of bills through the Louisiana State uh, Legislature, uh, fulfilling his uh, campaign promises. Uh, these included free textbooks for ch- poor children. Uh, he established the first adult literacy programs, night programs that taught 100,000 adults uh, who had not been able to read and write. Um, to be, you know, promote adult literacy. Uh, he started uh, unpre- unprecedented work, public work programs, building mm-hmm. roads, building bridges, hospitals, educational institutions. Uh, and although his bills, uh, his, you know, his legislation met with opposition with uh, many in the uh, legislature and the wealthy, as well as the media, the media did not particularly like him either. But he used very aggressive tactic, tactics to ensure that uh, his legislation got passed. Uh, he would often show up on the floor unannounced in the House and the Senate in Louisiana, uh, you know, twisting arms. Um, he used the patronage system, as we said, and he would also threaten his rivals. Uh, he used um, uh, probably, you know, course and it's a big problem today is gerrymandering Mm -hmm. and that's where you uh, cut up uh, you uh, define uh, congressional and and in this case state and uh, uh, state legislature uh, districts um, define them to your advantage and it would actually put legislatures out of the job 
and he would get bills passed to do that. So you wanted to stay in the state legislature. Yeah, he could gerrymander you right out of a job. Yeah. And, you know, that's not to get too far off topic, Mm -hmm. but something very interesting happened in Wisconsin last week Mm -hmm. when they found that they were gerrymandering and it was unconstitutional. Mm -hmm. And that could have serious ramifications. When you think about it, our House of Representatives is made up of Republicans primarily, Mm -hmm. um, and it's pretty much set that way because they got to draw the map in 2010. Um, But that could very, very well change very quickly. It's supposed to happen again in 2020. Um, Mm -hmm. But that could change because I think Democrats got 65% of the vote for a House of Representatives, but they got very little they won very few of the races yeah my my home not not here but my home district is really weird it's gerrymandered mm-hmm. and it is like in the county next if you look at it on a map you would i mean it looks like a snake yeah <laughs> i mean it's really and that's tough. what the one in wisconsin yeah. now mine where i'm at is pretty straightforward but everybody in my neck of the woods is republican mm-hmm. so they don't have to gerrymander that but then they have to work through here on the state legislature they mm-hmm. have i mean it's chopped up into yes. part of my district is avondale mm-hmm. but the ways through which is a primary house, african-american african-american community. so avondale is a big block of my for for the state thing mm-hmm. avondale is across town mm-hmm. And then these little five, eight, ten blocks of my neighborhood, yeah. this very Republican, uh-huh. is lumped in with this because yeah. they know they're going to lose. You know what I yes, mean? Yes, it'll dilute the minority vote. And they don't need it in our district. Right. They don't need the Republicans in our district, right. so they just throw a little chunk. So it's yeah. and yeah. gerrymandering has been done by both parties, and you know it's, it's nothing new. It's been around for a long time, but. Huey used this to his advantage, and when we get to the uh, his assassination, that is one of the uh, one of the theories is That's that it came down to yeah, possibly. Yeah, it may have came down to him <clears throat> gerrymandering out the wrong person. But uh, in 1929, as governor, Huey called a special session of both houses of the Louisiana legislature to enact a new five cent per barrel occupational license tax. You know, he's got all these programs that he's uh, instituting. Now he needs some money to pay for it, uh, for all these social programs. And he's going to tap his uh, favorite adversary, uh, Standard Oil, right? Mm -hmm. So he's going to put a five-cent per barrel uh, occupation license tax on Standard Oil. Well, you know, the uh, Standard Oil and the lawmakers in their back pocket uh, went crazy over this, and it wasn't long that they were trying to uh, impeach Huey on charges of blasphemy and abuse of power, bribery, misuse of states' funds. Um, but they failed. Uh, but, you know, Huey would say that, you know, he's been tried, they've tried to, um, they try to impeach him all the time, and uh, he always, he would always prevail. Um, so, but they did try, uh, but they fell short. Uh, so he did not, uh, they did not get the conviction in the Senate that they need to remove him from office. Uh, but, uh, and he got his, uh, you know, he got his occupation license tax through, but he made a lot of enemies uh, with that little move. 
Um, and and so it wasn't long. Uh, you know, Huey now had pretty much the state in, under his thumb, but he had greater aspirations. It was 1932. It was the middle of the Depression, and uh, Huey thought it would be uh, what he would like to do uh, is to do what he did in Louisiana for the United States. So he needed a stepping stone um, so that he couldn't uh, go up to the next level. So he decided in 1932 to run for the U.S. Senate. Um, and since he con you know, basically controlled the whole state, it was a uh, pretty easy election for him. He was elected uh, U.S. Senator uh, in 1932. He had his uh, um, a guy named of Oscar Allen was kind of his lackey, secede him as governor. So Huey had, uh, even though he was elected to the U.S. Senate, he was still basically, for all intents and purposes, running. Yeah. Um, he had run, Oscar Allen? Yeah. Yeah. Running uh, Louisiana with his hand-picked successor, Oscar Allen, in charge. Uh, so in 1932, Long was elected to senator, uh, and he was known, uh, and he didn't make a lot <laughs> A lot of enemies in the U.S. Senate. Um, he would give these long, long oh, speeches. They hated him. They they really did not like him at all. Was, at the time, the Senate was different than it was today. It was an old boys club. And uh, it was, you know, people who kind of, uh, they, they saw themselves as a the higher house. and uh, They saw themselves as the elite. Yeah, they sting, the, yeah. distinguished. And Huey would get on the floor and just rail and uh, about, you know, he had, he had a program he called, uh, I'm sure you'll get into more, Share the Wealth. And again, this the is... Share the Wealth, it was a club. Yeah. The people, it was like almost a fan club of his. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he would give these long speeches about, uh, you know, remember, this is 1932, so President Roosevelt, again, he was a, a early supporter of President Roosevelt. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, he took a lot of credit for a lot of the New Deal programs that come along because well, he he argued that he, you know this is what worked in Louisiana and we can do it nationally uh, and maybe pushed uh, Roosevelt a little bit further to the left than he would have gone. Only done. Yeah, and he definitely made the public works programs larger. Yes, um, and and one thing that. One thing Huey, Lu Huey Long did, Huey Lewis, mm -hmm. Huey Lewis. And yeah, Lewis, and I'm keep calling yeah. Um, that he did was every time they opened a school, mm -hmm. every time they opened a hospital, and they opened a beautiful hospital up in northern um, Louisiana, but every time one of these places opened, mm -hmm. he was there saying, I did this. Yes. I yes. did this. He didn't let these things happen quietly. No, no, so no. So he, he became the, every, you couldn't think of this school, you couldn't think of this hospital, this is the hospital that, that Huey built. The Huey built. These are the so, roads that Huey built. These yeah. are the schools that Huey built. Your, right. your kids have textbooks to go to school because of Huey. Yeah. And also, he was the first politician to use radio. Yeah. Uh, and he used it a lot yeah. to reach uh, to reach his constituents. It was there. his Twitter. Yeah. Um. So, uh, he was not well received in Washington because again he. Even though he was a Democratic uh, uh, senator from state Louisiana, um, he did not necessarily go along with the program, 
and uh, he was not beholden to the establishment. I mean, he had the uh, National Democratic Party did not help him get elected, Mm-mm. and he did not owe anything to them. And as I said, he he early on supported uh, Franklin Roosevelt, but after he got uh, up in Washington as a senator. He uh, said that uh, Roosevelt was not going far enough when he needed these. Uh, he wanted to share the wealth program, which would take from the rich and, and distribute it to those uh, to those who are, were without. At the time, President uh, Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt, called Huey Long the most dangerous man in America. You know who he said the second most dangerous man in America was? Who was that? This is trivia. Uh, Douglas MacArthur. He oh, said yeah? two of the most dangerous men in America at the time, according to Franklin Roosevelt, most dangerous being Huey Long. That's because, interesting. Because he had this appeal, he was a populist, mm-hmm. but he also had a tendency to abuse power, right. and he had this uh, uh, dictator streak in him yeah. uh, that he would not uh, hesitate to use. And so, uh, you know, there was a great fear of Huey actually running, you know, it was obvious that uh, Huey was going to run for president in 1936. Yeah, Timmy, let's just stop and reflect for a minute. Okay. Um, it's just me and you here. Yes. There has not been an obscenity thrown about. No, not yet. No vulgar terms, no throwing of things, no... Are you saying because Brandy is not here? That's why? I am saying that. I'm... I'm implying that in you know, a very I th- strong I, I, way. I, I think that our listeners might not. I think our listeners kind of like that that tension. Yeah, but you know, our listeners don't have to sit next to the woman when she's <laughs> melting down, and they don't get things thrown at them. Yeah, they don't get pinched, and they don't get grabbed, yes. they don't get. Yeah, it makes good podcasts. It makes for a good podcast, but it's also dangerous if you're in a room. Yeah, when you're sitting on the side of the table, the colonel right arm all bruised up and beat up from. Yeah. Her. Well, tell us about Huey in Washington. Well, now, Huey's in Washington. He's a senator. Now, he's starting to think about the White House here, Mm -hmm. okay? Now, of course, he's still managing things back home. He's got Oscar Allen serving as a figurehead. And as you said, he's not well-liked by his colleagues in the Senate. Even members of his own party would avoid him. Mm -hmm. Um, And they viewed him as unclothed and backwards. Mm. Uh, they were also annoyed by his political rhetoric and his ambitions. He'd get these, like you said, these lengthy uh, floor speeches, and he started started that nationwide share the wealth club. Mm-hmm. And by the summer of 1935, Timmy, the share the wealth club had seven and a half million listeners nationwide. Yeah, there's this really. Uh, if you ever get a chance to look at on YouTube, or I'm sorry, Timmy, I got that wrong. The Share the Wealth Club had 7.5 million members nationwide. He had 25 million radio listeners. Yeah, yeah he, was, he, he was do national mm-hmm. broadcast. And if you ever listen, if you, can, you can check him out on YouTube. And, and it, it, you know, you have to think about it in terms of that time period. Well, he looks spoke little, in a weird way, yeah, jerky. And, and, and a little amorish. I mean, he looks kind of like a clown. You know, like you, you know, now you look back at like a, a video of Mussolini, and he just yeah. seems like a fool, you know, foolish. But at the time, he would get up, and you know, and he had his, you know, his tie that was always too small. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and he would give these speeches, and he would talk about, uh, you know, he give these these kind of down home country. 
you know, he was very intelligent, but he would talk in a way that could relate to the common exactly. people. And he would give these examples, you know, one example is where he's saying, you know, it's okay if you've got this feast and the Rockefellers come. And well, they his, take, I was going to say, uh, if you get a chance, look up his Rockefeller speech. Because, Mr. Rockefeller, when you when you got enough food for you and yeah. your children and your great-grandchildren <laughs> and your great-grandchildren and their great-grandchildren, yeah. that's okay. But yeah. leave some for us. Yeah, and bring back some of that grub. Yeah, yeah, bring back some of that grub. When you got enough clothes for your for your family and for your children and for your great grand great and he just keep going to save just a little bit for us. So yeah. he wasn't he he put it in this in this uh, t- context. Yeah, and it, he I wasn't mean, trying to take anything that the Rockefellers were even using. Right, right. You know, it's just you got way too much and you ain't even using it, and these poor people bastards over here need it. Yeah. So yeah, especially at the height of the depression, you know, and that's, that sounds pretty good. If you're, if you know, if you're unemployed and you can't feed your family or you're, you know, in the, uh, you know, uh, in the dust bowl and you don't have a place to stay and the bank is taking your home. I mean, that's a, that's well, a pretty and, powerful ma- message. You know, and, and I told Taylor, uh, Tanner, you know, my son is younger and he was, we were talking about the election. I said, you know, you're, you're some poor bastard. You're living in Wisconsin. Maybe I went over this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's easy for us to take political sides and say, mm-hmm. well, Trump's evil. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's just use that narrative, right? Mm-hmm. And you remember when Ross Perot was running and he said, you know, that's that big sucking sound to all the jobs going to Mexico when you sign right. NAFTA. Mm-hmm. And I said, you're some poor bastard living up in Kenosha, Wisconsin. You used to work at the car factory up there, but they closed the car factory and sent it down to Mexico. Right. And you lost your job, and you lost your house, and you mm-hmm. probably got a divorce from all the pressure and all mm-hmm. the strain and everything else. And uh, who's the evil guy? The guy who signed NAFTA? Mm-hmm. I mean, in your you know, from your point of view, right, right, right. No, I mean, Donald it's Trump just, or the guy who signed NAFTA, right? It's you know, uh, and, something that people can relate to. And these people were the same way. They they had you know the depression had come along. Mm-hmm. They'd, I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look. With Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J U V E D E R M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs or scarring talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you 
lost everything. Mm -hmm. They were looking yeah, we for 25 somebody. million people unemployed. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. They were looking for somebody to say, hey, I hear you. Now, I, you know, and not to get again too off track, the difference, the thing that I can't figure out here in, in this particular one is um, what, you know, Huey Long was saying, I'm going to build this for you. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do that for you. And I, I haven't, it, it seems like people in this election just were saying the whole system's corrupt and it's right. broken and we need to it. Redo seems like it. this, I mean, and, you know, I'm sure people voted for Donald Trump for different reasons, but just for me observing it, it's like the big middle finger. And, I'm and going I think to say that, F you to F all. Yeah, the, uh, it's not like there were a lot of yeah, promises on made. Houses. Right. Other than, you know, I'm going to bring the jobs back. I'm going to kill mm -hmm. up, kill these treaties, which, you know, you, me and you being in the jobs we're in know that. They're not coming back. They're not coming back. Right. Changes, you know, beyond mm -hmm. our control happen. But, but I think that's a big difference is that he was talking about some very tangible things that people could really relate to. Yeah. And if I, I guess I would say if you, you know, on a spectrum, Huey would be to Trump's left. Yeah. Right. He would yeah. be, but it, they, they use very similar tactics. They use very, very similar approaches. Uh -huh. They tapped into this um, anger. They tapped into this feeling that people had not had voices, had been mm -hmm. ignored, had not been heard. They had problems, and they sure. were being ignored. And, and, and they were both smart enough to— And they both were—I mean, and either one of them were really a part of the establishment, even yeah. of their own parties. So, they, so it gave them a sense of—it gave people a sense that— I can trust this guy because all the other people have screwed me. What do I got yeah. to lose? And they're all against him. Right. So it must yeah. be for me. Yeah. The yeah. enemy of my enemy. It, yeah. Exactly. Is, you know, so, so, you know, so it's very, it's interesting if you, if you look at the two, but that's the one big difference that I saw was, yeah. you know, Huey Long was, and of course he limited himself to Louisiana and it was mm. just, you know, I'm going to build. Well, yeah, he didn't have, hospitals. he didn't, he didn't last long enough to, uh, well, he, he announced his uh, run for the presidency, but yeah, <laughs> he didn't get there. Nineteen thirty-five so, is so. When I he think announced. Trump is better. Uh, is probably hoping for a better outcome than, <laughs> outcome than he had. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So in thirty-five, he announces he's gonna he's gonna uh, challenge FDR mm -hmm. for the Democratic national or the Democratic nomination. And as you said, he has all these followers on this new thing called radio, not yeah. Twitter. Not, you know, right. not Twitter, but this new thing called radio. A lot of people are... 25 million. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of that's people. That's a national audience. Yeah, and you're, you're talking about, you know, a time when the U.S. population was probably about 150 million. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, the voting population was probably Even smaller. 100. Yeah. So he's got 25 million listening to him. He's mm -hmm. getting 60,000 letters a week from his supporters. Yeah, More and that's the another, president was getting. That's a thing you also see if you can get a chance to look up some uh, Huey Long on some of the YouTube videos. You get to see all this mail. I mean, it's just mm -hmm. bags and bags and bags. And people find, loved him. People, I'll find one of his good speeches that he gave and, and post put it a link up there. It's, okay. it's, it's very good. Mm -hmm. um, but now, Long had some unfinished business in Baton Rouge. Now, there was a lot of there was a lot of rumors of plots to assassinate Huey. Well, yeah, he was making again. He's making. He's made enemies along the way. Yeah, and his the way he consolidated power. I mean, he he basically was a dictator down in Louisiana, mm -hmm. 
And it, it actually led to talk of an armed insurrection by mm -hmm. his enemies there. Because he's now remember, BP Oil was not a trifling little company. No, no, they had a lot of power. They still do. Yeah. I mean, BP has Standard Oil at the time, but um, you know, you, he was he was uh, his adversaries were very powerful people. Right. So now he's working with his cronies in the state legislatures on this redistricting plan. Gerrymandering, basically. Gerrymandering that would eliminate some of his political adversaries. Mm -hmm. Now, one of these opponents was an old political foe, a state district judge named Benjamin Pavey, Timmy. I think he called him Buzzard, if I remember right. He had, like I said, he had yeah, nicknames. Yeah, nicknames for, for everybody. They were enemies for a long time. Now, Pavey was a staunch Republican. He'd opposed Long's redistribution of wealth in Louisiana. Long even had Pavey's wife, Marie Pavey, dismissed from a position as a third grade teacher in Eunice, Louisiana. Yeah. I mean, so that's how petty Huey Long oh, could yeah. be. Oh, yeah, you know, sure. So he was not a guy who, took I mean, the high, who often took the high road. He no, was a, any means necessary. And he used his power. He wasn't like... He abused his power. Well, yeah, he, obviously abused yeah. him. But I mean, he... It wasn't... Uh, he wasn't this... Even though a lot of his uh, platform and a lot of his policies were idealistic, mm -hmm. his use of power wasn't idealistic. No. I mean, he he had no problem. No, he would crush turn, you. If yeah. you he, he, Huey Long was not a guy who wanted to sit down and debate and hash out ideas. Right. He It was his way or he crushed you. Exactly. And uh, now on September 8th, Huey's in the state capitol building in Baton Rouge for a special session of Louisiana legislation. Now, they're pushing through a number of bills, including a measure to gerrymander opponent Judge Benjamin Pavey out of his job. Now, here's a generally accepted version of events, Timmy. Okay. Pavey's son-in-law, Dr. Carl Weiss, walks up to Huey in a corridor. Who I think was a, I think he was a dentist, I think. Oh, was he? Yeah, I think Dr. Weiss was a dentist. Okay. I may be wrong about that, but I think he was. So he walks up to Huey in the courthouse, and he shoots him at close range in the abdomen. Huey's bodyguards immediately opened fire on Weiss, and Huey tried to run away. Now, this is the son-in-law of, 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 of the judge. The he's judge going who, to Huey's, Huey's up there for that purpose right there to pass through legislation mm -hmm. that's going to put this judge out of a job. Mm -hmm. This is his son-in-law. Now, Weiss, the shooter, he was killed instantly. Now, Huey was brought to a nearby hospital. Emergency surgery failed to stop his internal bleedings, and two days later, Huey hung on for two days, Demi. Mm -hmm. um, September 10th, 1935, 11 days after his 42nd birthday, and his last words were, God, don't let me die. I have so much to do. Yeah. Um, so Huey's dead. And Huey's dead. So the... You know, now they, it gets down to figuring. I'm sorry, out. he was an MD. I I was I'm mistaken. Oh, okay. Carl Weiss was an MD, but the uh, so now let's get the, down to what the hell happened here. Yeah, because on the surface, it's uh, you know he's defending his father-in-law, you know his mm -hmm. reputation and his family honor by this going and, and killing the man who his political enemy, basically. But that leads to a lot of questions. Well, it leads to the first question of the JFK thing was part of a bigger plot. Um, right. Because he had so many enemies. Um, another theory is that Weiss, was only, Weiss had only punched Long and both men had been killed in a hail of bullets 
or ricochet fired by the senators. I think he had six bodyguards. Yeah, he was too. only he uh, everywhere he went. He had a large uh, number of bodyguards. Mm-hmm. And the theory you're talking about is they got a little yeah. trigger happy. They uh, they basically, and and I've seen something on this the way that they pre- were positioned. They all pulled their guns out and sh- started shooting. And we're lucky only two people got killed. Mm-hmm. None of the bodyguards got shot, which is an amazing thing because they basically set up a circular firing squad around them. Mm-hmm. Um, but Carl Weiss is killed. Weiss is killed. And Yuri um, shot. shot in the abdomen. He dies two days later. I think he runs. He runs away to an antechamber, and he he falls over, and then they get him yeah. to the hospital where he eventually yeah dies. Yeah, and it's not like in the movie. If you see the movie with Sean Penn in it, all, all the, the King, Kingsmen, all the Kingsmen, he didn't get to the middle of the thing. He he got yeah. All the Kingsmen was thing. based on the life of Huey Long. I, yeah. it's not a it's not, not a factual. No, it's not record. a biography, right? But um, now there's a theory that although Weiss wounded Long, it was the accidental shooting of Long by his bodyguards that killed him. Yeah. Um, now the official version of Long's shooting remained the generally accepted story that Weiss just walked up to him and shot him until about 1960, when a reporter for the Associated Press named David Zinman realized that no real investigative reporting had ever really been done about Weiss and his motives. Nobody ever tried to figure out why, you know, why mm-hmm. did this man who was an MD, a doctor, why was he so invested in, because yeah, it, it wasn't it, him that was going to lose his job. Right. And, and that's the problem I have with it. It's like you go to medical school and you sacrifice and, and, and you finally establish yourself and your career. Well, he was married and had kids. You're married, you've got kids, you've got dependents. Mm-hmm. And you're just going to go shoot uh, the U.S. senator just because your father-in-law is going to lose his job? Lose his How job, does yeah. that make your family's life better? Right. So anyway, um, this Zinman, who, Zinman, who's a reporter, he interviews his wife's surviving relatives, okay? People with knowledge of the events, and that's something that no journalist had really ever pursued. So in 1963, Zinman publishes this book, The Day Huey Long Was Shot, and it's a pretty balanced presentation of the story. kind of reads like a murder mystery, and, and Zinman did not come up with a definite conclusion as to what happened. But his work exposed serious doubts about the official version and gave the counter-theorists a more level debating field. You know, So mm-hmm. it said, you know, it's kind of like the, or what was, the Warren Commission report sure. on the Kennedy assassination. That, that same year, a journalist from the Long Era, who was an unabashed Kingfish fan, Herman Deutsch, published Huey Long, the Murder Case, an adoring portrait of Huey Long. Um, and let's see here, Timmy. It reinforced the official version of the shooting. That now, it was done by Carl Weiss. Yeah. Well, there was that was just the... Uh, uh, yeah. Weiss shot him. Mm-hmm. Now, a somewhat more objective account based on the extensive interviews was T. Harry Williams' 1969 Pulitzer-winning biography, Huey Long, which concluded that Weiss shot Long and missteps by the doctors who treated Long finished him off. Yeah, that it was it was sort of malpractice or intentional. Or intentional, yeah. Yeah. 
So now up to 1986, and a political analyst and public relations consultant, Ned Reed, offered a blockbuster interpretation with his book, Requiem for a Kingfish, The Strange and Unexplained Death of Huey Long. The traditional view of the shooting was that a single bullet from Weiss's gun ran through Long's abdomen. Using hospital records and FBI records, interviews, Reed focused on the theory that it least two bullets were fired into Long's body. Mm-hmm. All right. It's been suggested that one of these bullets may have come from his bodyguards that ricocheted off marble columns in the state house. Yeah, because he was re- killed at the state house. And there right. was no investigation into this. No. I mean, it no. was just white shot him. Nobody even looked at the state house to, for, right. you know. Right. There was a lot of gunshots fired in that state <laughs> yeah, house. Yeah, there was. I, I forget how had, many Weiss had in him, but... He, they unloaded their gun. Yeah, and twice. none of these guys had to account for their bullets or whatever, right. you know. So now Reed examined the medical procedures in the All Lady of Lake Hospital operating room. Um, that's where he was operated on during his surgery. And it was crowded with Long's political allies and doctors arriving from New Orleans and elsewhere to assist with the emergency care. Now, Reed provides, Reed provides evidence, Timmy, that Long's germ was checked repeatedly. This is important. Mm-hmm. Contrary to the popular notion that the lead doctor, Coleman Vidrine, had failed to check for fatal signs of urinary bleeding. So that got, you know, kind of thrown out that the doctors were incompetent uh-huh. and whatnot. You know, the doctors took good care of him. But more importantly, here's something that is really interesting. Reed said that the doctors that night pulled a bullet out of Long's body and did not report it. A second body was left, a second bullet was left in the body, he claimed. The most significant evidence presented for this theory is a story related by, excuse me, by Merle Welsh, the funeral director who served as a mortician for both Weiss and Long. In an interview with Reed 50 years after the accident incident, which, you know, would have helped if somebody would have talked to him five years later. Yeah, sure. This son of a bitch is 110 years old, By so he's liable point, to yeah. tell you anything. But Welsh said that one of the operating room doctors came into the funeral home late at night, reopened long sutures, and probed the corpse until he pulled out a bullet. Mm, so, so that would account for bullet number two. Second bullet. Yeah, now, now Reed tracked down the funeral assistant who claimed to have the bullet on a key ring as a memento. Soon after the release of Reed's book, the writer Zinman also interviewed Welsh and heard essentially the same story but said the mortician, then in his 80s, was clearly losing his mind. Now, Reed, Reed though, did back up the two shots theory with several references. If true, his version of events suggests that someone other than Weiss may have fired a shot or two in the long. Could that be a bodyguard or an unidentified assassin? Reed couldn't say for sure, but he concluded the official theory of the shooting must now be relegated to the graveyard of hoaxes, frauds, and fairy tales, Timmy. Yeah, we'll probably never know. So now a new line of investigation opens up in 1985 when Carl Weiss Sr., who he was three months old at the time. So that's another thing you got to keep in mind. This man had a three-month-old boy at yeah. home. And he's going out and assassinating someone. Yeah. And he had a cordial lunch with Long's son, U.S. Senator Russell Long. Who was, as I said, I think he was a seven-time U.S. Senator from yeah. Louisiana. Oh, he was... The Long, uh, the Long family remained uh, very powerful in Louisiana 
for many years after Long's death, even up until, you know, recent decades. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So anyway, that he had a cordial lunch with him. And Weiss said he learned at the meeting of the existence of his father's gun, which had gone missing for 50 years. Weiss and James Stars, a lawyer and scientist at George Washington University known for his forensic work on historic crimes, began seeking the weapon. Now, in ni- this is a weapon that supposedly Weiss used to kill Huey Long. 1935. Now, in 18... 18- 1985, Carl Weiss, um, or I'm sorry, it was kept in a safe deposit box of the Mabel Gerb Bennings of New Orleans, Mm -hmm. the daughter of the late General Louis Gere, the state's head of crime investigations in 1935, which is a peculiar thing that he would put it in his own personal safety deposit box. Yeah, I guess it was because, I guess it was historic or something, and he wanted it as a memento, I don't know. So there's a long legal battle um, between these two, and they had to give up possession of the box, which was filled with memorabilia. Mm-hmm. So the Gare box, the safe deposit box that supposedly held the gun that sh- killed Huey Long, contained three things of great interest. A thirty two caliber automatic pistol of the type Weiss owned a thirty two caliber bullet that had been fired and had a blunt tip from an impact, and photos identified as Long's coat showing bullet holes. The gun was identified the gun was identified as the one owned by Weiss. The court ruled the gun belonged to his son, who has allowed the pistol to sit on display in the old Capitol Museum in Baton Rouge. So Carl Weiss Jr. gets he ends the, up with the gun. Yeah, right. State police investigators fired a test bullet from the Weiss pistol and compared it under a microscope with a blunt nose bullet. The conclusion, the spent thirty two caliber found in Gare's collection was not fired by the Weiss gun. Oh. So that makes it that makes everything kind of interesting because Weiss owns his gun. Mm-hmm. Um, they pulled a thirty two bullet out of Huey Long. But it wasn't from but that it was gun. not from that gun. So it was probably not fired by one of the bodyguards because they carried larger. They carried the typical old thirty eights, yeah, um, larger caliber, larger caliber. No one's ever produced a bullet as evidence of the one that killed Long. And don't you think that's peculiar that they would not have pulled these bullets out yeah, of his body? Yeah, I think there was a rush job to get. I think they were trying to put it to bed pretty quickly. Uh, if you ever seen the, the uh, Ken Burns has an excellent documentary on Huey Long. If mm-hmm. you ever get a chance to watch it, and, it, and I remember them interviewing the wife of Hotting Carter, who was a uh, a journalist in Louisiana at the time, one of the leading journalists. And uh, you know they she they they were from the uh, well-to-do class in Louisiana. And she'd say, you know, she said that uh, there wasn't a dinner party that she attended as a young woman where there wasn't discussion about killing Huey Long. Mm. And it was just something she said, you talk like you talk about the weather. It was like, yeah, how are we going to get rid of that son of a bitch? Well, and, you know, the same thing happened to FDR. This is a short story out. Mm-hmm. A guy said FDR told him, uh, he said, Every day this guy went and got a paper, and he just, he paid for the paper, he'd look at the headline, and give it back to the guy. And uh, 
one day FDR or somebody asked him, he's like, you only look at the headlines. Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, if what I'm, he said, I'm hoping for something to happen. Mm -hmm. And he'd give the paper back and he said, well, why don't you look in the paper and see if it happened? Mm -hmm. He said, oh, if what I want to happen happens, it'll be the headline. (laughs) And what he was saying was he'd hoped somebody shoot FDR. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because FDR for what, you know, the saying, he's like Reagan. Right, right. For the saying he is today, right, he was very, very unpopular with a lot of yeah. people at that time. So yeah, so you had Huey, who was not only unpopular in Louisiana. Well, I mean, he was again. It depends on who you were at the yeah. time. He had very people who who loved him, and I don't know if you're getting. You probably talk about his funeral and and all the people who attended, but. Uh, he was also not only uh, hated by the ruling class and, and the establishment class in Louisiana. He was a threat now to the whole country because he was going to run for yeah, president. Right. And uh, as we already said, he was already called the most dangerous man in America by uh, Franklin Roosevelt. Um, so there was concerns that he would run, I guess, this like Trump-like campaign that mm-hmm. would find his way into the White House. And that scared a lot of people. It did scare a lot of people. And there's a lot of people, you know, to this day, and there's no things that think that maybe the Democratic Party or some of FDR's allies were behind this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, nobody really knows. Although, you know... I tell you what, you can, you can lead a movement. Of mm-hmm. Almost about anything, civil rights, anything. You, you, you look at like Martin uh, Martin Luther King Jr. led the civil rights, you know, movement. Got the the, the you know 1964 civil rights mm-hmm. legislation passed. When did he get killed? He got killed when he started talking about sharing the wealth. Right. And uh, yeah. he said, you know, he went to, he went down to Memphis and and, and uh, went to bat for the uh, garbage, garbage men who were on strike. On strike, yeah. Um, when you start talking about sharing the wealth, you're going to make a lot of enemies. Well, and, you know, it's it's kind of funny, but we always joke about prostitutes. Mm-hmm. You know, prostitutes, it's the only time sex becomes illegal is when money exchanges hands. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, and that's a way, in a sense, I think I put it on the page the other day, it's a way for people to keep women down, mm-hmm. not give them power. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, you have the, uh, of all the versions of the shooting, Moreau, who, um, his, his belief is that Weiss shot him. Um, if you have his coat, you have two holes in the coat. You have a coat, a bullet going in and a hole coming out. Now that does not account for the two bullets being in his body. One could have come from the front, one could have come from the back. Um, there was not a you know long autopsy done because they just tried to deal with him and they mm-hmm. he died and they buried him. So anyway, the the final state police investigator, the, the the determination that happened at that time, in the photos they support a one shot version of events. The hole in the front of Logan's or Long's coat was consistent with the very close range shot from a thirty two caliber handgun. The hole in the back of his clothing was consistent with a bullet exit wound. Now, here's what's peculiar about this, Timmy. If you know a lot about guns, mm-hmm. you know 
a 32 is probably not going to pass through a guy through his abdomen. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to it's going to go in there and tumble around right, do right. a lot of damage. Right. So if there's if there's two holes, there's probably a good possibility there's two bullets. Yeah. Um, so that doesn't that doesn't make sense to me. You know, yeah. you can you can shoot a high powered 22 through to through somebody, mm-hmm. but a 32 chances are it's not going to go through through the person yeah you hit him in the leg a calf or something but through the abdomen that that's a lot of fat a lot of tissue to go through so the theories here are one this uh carl weiss just says it you know the 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 uh accepted story is he was assassinated by this Carl Rice, who then was murdered there by the bodyguards who just unloaded it, unloaded their weapons into Weiss. Yeah. Uh, the second theory is he was shot by Weiss, but also by the bodyguards, by the bodyguards and, during yeah. during this shootout. Uh, and the third theory is any combination of the first two, he survived that, but. It was mal- medical malpractice. Uh, once he was taken to the hospital, the doctors did not treat him appropriately, and he may have survived had it not been for uh, the doctor's uh, poor medical care given to him. Now, his son, Carl Weiss's son, who met with Russell Long, the senator, mm-hmm. to this day insists that his father did not even shoot him. Yeah. And then I guess then the fourth theory is this is all a sham, and there were there were more powerful people. Involved. There were more powerful people. There's um, because we a know couple we... theories that his own bodyguard shot him on purpose, not accidentally. Mm-hmm. Um, that Weiss came up and punched him in the stomach, but it, you know that that kind of that leads into a long conspiracy. Of, but you know Lee Harvey Oswald, look at him; mm-hmm. he was dead a day later. Yeah. You know, and that Weiss was part of something larger. And you can, I can see the rationale for someone who is angry that, you know, they're screwing over my, you know, my father-in-law, they're screwing him. I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a, take a swing at this son of a bitch. That you yeah. can see. Right. But here I am a doctor. I've got a one-year-old child at home. I'm the, and if my father-in-law is going to be out of a job, uh, you know, he's an elderly man at this point, the judge. I forget how old he was, but he was elderly at this point. And this is before, you know, there was Social Security. It's 1932. Yeah. So Security didn't come about until 35. So, you know, he's going to be the sole breadwinner of that whole family. Uh, are you going to go and, and with a one-year-old son at home and, and, and kill this man? I mean, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't make, logically it doesn't make sense. Now, People commit murder for a lot of different reasons, and it's not always logical. But it doesn't seem like it would be something that was well thought out, if that's the case. No, and there were several witnesses, Timmy, but the better part of these were his bodyguards. Yeah. And when you think about it from that, if he comes up and just says, you son of a bitch, and goes to punch him in the stomach, and his bodyguards overreact, Mm -hmm. his bodyguards are just going to, you know, because bodyguards... They carry a thirty-eight, mm-hmm. you know, police special. Yeah, I don't. That thing only holds eight, six shots. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever type it's going to be. Um, so it's it's not out of the realm of possibility that somebody's got a gun in their sock, somebody's got a gun mm-hmm. tucked away. 
and they shoot this son of a bitch and realize they shot Huey Long too. Mm-hmm. And they got a, a dead body laying on the floor that they've shot 45 times. It doesn't have a gun. Mm-hmm. And Huey shot too. Yes. It's not all that, you know, out of the realm of possibility that somebody says, oh, yeah, here's the gun he came up and tried to shoot him with. Because remember, that bullet did not match, you know, yeah, the bullet the that they had. Yeah. And then the so, other thing, the other, I guess the other possibility was that it was. The bullet ricocheted off one of the columns. Off one of the columns, the, yeah. And the state house that that Huey Long built, by the way. The yeah, house, he died in his. Which is bullet. a funny, another funny thing because the thirty-two again not carrying that much power, mm-hmm. ricocheting off of a column would definitely not cause the thing to go through you. Yeah, you know, yeah, lose too much energy. So there's a lot of questions about this death steal. What do you, do yeah. you have a favorite theory? My favorite theory is that he did punch him in the stomach, that he didn't have a gun at all, and that the bodyguards opened fire on him. Yeah, and um, then that's and what I and, think. and uh, inadvertently shot Huey Long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and, and then I, there may have been some, uh, yeah, there may have been some medical malpractice as well. Now it did not end his political strength or Long family, Timmy. His widow took over his seat in the Senate, and then his son was elected to the Senate in 1948. And he served until he retired in 1987. So yeah. that's 40, 39 Russell years in Long, there. Yeah, they, they were still a strong political force. I know, I, you know, when I was growing up, you always heard about the Long family of Louisiana. Yeah, Earl Long served his brother served three terms as governor, not consecutive, three terms as governor of Louisiana. Um, after his death, his body was laid in state at the Capitol building in Baton Rouge, and millions of Louisiana poor and working class lined up for miles and miles Timmy to pay the last respects to the kingfish okay. and that is the end of Huey but yeah poor I, Huey. I think there's I, I there are there are uh, some there are similarities between this and and we don't know because you know Donald Trump has never been a senator or anything mm-hmm. else we don't know what his ruling style will be but but there are many many parallels, and I think the biggest parallel. Well, I is, think it. I think it's easy to see. It would not be hard to see him being autocratic, and that certainly would describe Huey Long. He was autocratic as well. Yeah, I think though Huey Long was going to run into problems because it's very easy to be autocratic, as you've seen, as you know, we've seen in our own state. Um, it's very easy to be autocratic at a state level. Mm-hmm. Um, when you get into a federal level. You know, and and we we were talking politics. You know, the boys are pretty interested in politics, and I said, you know, the the problem that you you run into right now, if if you're if you're Donald Trump coming in, mm-hmm. is that you have again, you you really aren't part of the Republican establishment. Mm-hmm. Some are going to fall in line, some aren't, mm-hmm. um, but they don't necessarily like you. Mm-hmm. And in the Senate, it's only a 52-48 split. Mm-hmm. So you only need a few to flip. You know what I mean? So Absolutely. it's going to be and hard I think to be it, very autocratic. And you I don't think have that the, kind of power. I think at the, even at the state level, I think uh, Jesse Ventura found that out when he was governor of Minnesota. He couldn't get nothing done. Well, Arnold. Yeah. I mean, Schwarzenegger, yeah. he found he, – Arnold got some few things done, but but – Again, you run when you run as Schwarzenegger, as Jesse Ventura, mm-hmm. as a populist, making a lot of promises that we're going to get this done, we're going to change, you know, drain the swamp, mm-hmm. we're going to do this, do that. 
you're running against a whole machine that it's very easy to shut you down. And that they have no allegiance to you. They, they have, no, And it's in their interest to keep things the way that it is. Absolutely. You know, so, so. Was, oh, hard to drain the swamp. Well, there's right, no interesting end to story. the stuff. Interesting you know story. what? And it's nice to be able to do something where I don't feel so dirty, Timmy. Well, I'm sorry that, you know, that we didn't do Huey, Louie, and Dewey for you. Well, Maybe we'll get them, I would them have last been, I would have time. been quite prepared for that had yeah, we done we did, it. because pretty well on Huey Long, though. Well, he, because he well Louie, um, what many people don't know, is uh, he spent some time in prison. Oh, <laughs> Louie, the yeah. nephew of Donald Duck? I yeah, did not know Louie that. was a ne'er-do-well. He was... Uh, well, I heard that... Uh, Dewey had an alternative lifestyle, but I didn't. Know. Yeah, Dewey was Dewey was uh, part, part of, of the DLGBT community. <laughs> Let's see, really. Uh, well, it's it's the um, FLBG foul oh, LBGT see. community. I didn't realize um, that. And then you know, Louis was more of a. Um, he was, he was a he was a duck gun runner. Really? Yeah. I didn't see. I didn't. I always yeah. learn something when I do these podcasts with you. Never learn much from Brandy, but I always learn. Well, something you know what? From I, you know what you do learn from Brandy? Some of the most vile words and terms you ever. I mean, and I and I'm going to say this. Cockholster. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, Forgive disgusting. us, fellow listeners, but she's a vile woman. Disgusting. Oh, it's just, it, and it feels like almost. I mean, it feels like we're doing a real podcast. You know? I know. You know, it's it feels amazing. like a real history podcast. Like Imagine somebody out that. there might have learned something. Yeah. You know, but I'm sure we'll be back to serial killers when Brandy comes back. Well, we got to do a serial killer for Dottie. Yeah, yeah she likes serial do. killers. My mom is uh, a very fond of serial killers. You got some uh, shout outs for us, Colonel? I got a today. I got a bunch of shout outs. All right, Timmy, let, so let me stay have. with me, people. Of course, we always start our shout-outs with Tasha. Yeah, lovely you know. Tasha from California. Um, Tasha, it's always great to see you when you got time to show up on the page. Hope she now, had a great Thanksgiving. Oh, we hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. Um, now, I got to give a special shout-out, and I got to spend a little bit of time on this one, Timmy, because this is something else. Okay. Um, Tiffany. Tiffany, yes, Tiffany Bell. Tiffany Bell. In Michigan. In Michigan. Her son, Bo, last Saturday. Bo Bell. Um, the Lumen Christie. That um, sounds like a football player's name, doesn't it? He Bo is a Bell. football player. Yeah. Bo Bell. He just sounds like, Bo knows. Sounds like a. He sounds like a. He's going to be a Heisman winner, trophy yeah. winner. Bo knows football. His team, the Lumen Christie uh, team up in Jackson, Michigan, won a Division Six state title. Oh, wow! Congratulations. Bo was named the Jackson City Player of the Year. Wow! Up there, and football is not. That is not. A small achievement up there because if you've seen some of the running backs that are coming out of that area, some of these guys are going on to big, big time schools. Well, congratulations to Bo and to Tiffany. So, and and you know, you know, the thing I always loved really about Tiffany will post about this team, Mm -hmm. and and one of the things I noticed in a theme I caught on is Tiffany never ever posted about her son. She always posted about what, how great the team did, mm-hmm. how great the team did, and I and I seen an interview with her son, and and her son really, kind of, he's a very mature young man, mm-hmm. and he really kind of uh, played down what he has achieved, as opposed to what the guys, what his offensive line has mm-hmm. done, what his team has done, what his, you know, 
Oh, that's great. How Very it was humble. just his job. To, it was his job to step up and do something because these guys were working so hard for somebody to be able to step up and do something. Provide that opportunity. Yeah, so a big shout-out and a big congratulations yes. to you, Bo. That's a that's an amazing achievement. Um, Jeff Girdley, how you doing? Sam Hildebrand. Hey, Sam. Angie Ball. And, we, of course, Jennifer and Linda. We got them on the front end, but we always yeah. give them another one. Missy Dean Horton, Britt and Chris. Hey, Missy. Celine. Hey, Celine. Jeff Chestnut and Teresa Slavin. And I like to just call him Tommy Boom Boom. Tommy Boomershine. And we got Shonda and Larry. Yes. Doing the God's work out there for the folks in South Dakota. Yeah, and... They they are a committed couple, ain't they? Yeah, they really are. I mean, they are. They're, if if everybody in the country was as committed to righteous causes as they were, we'd be a much better place. Shannon is too. Shannon. Oh, Shannon Rossett. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Shonda, Shonda, I did it. Shonda, she asked me what was it I always said after her name, and I she thought I was saying the toll bridges, mm-hmm. and it's the troll bridges. All right, you got that right. The troll bridge couples. Yes. Thank you for listening, guys. Yeah, Colton and Phyllis Munson, Aaron Wentz, and, of course, Donna Curran and that dog of hers. Mm-hmm. Brian and Lisa Lawton, Livia Meyer, a lovely young Fallon, and a lovely young Katja. Fallon had, a, I think, a rough holiday, so special shout-out. Oh, did shout you, out. Fallon? Yeah, special shout-out to her. I, I seen that Fallon had posted that she somebody was having medical problems, yeah. but I did not have context of who that was. Yeah. Uh, special thoughts so, to Fallon. Fallon, yes, we are definitely thinking about you. Monica, I'm going to get this right this time. Monica D. Agostino. Yeah, I think she's my Fitbit buddy. Oh, but, is she? Yeah, but, but I don't think she's, uh, We like I've challenged her, but I don't think we've started yet. So. Well, Monica, I double dare you to be my Fitbit buddy. Oh, you I was up in Chicago. I was putting if in you, so many steps. If you walk across the floor, Monica, <laughs> you'll beat Chuck. Let's see. Bridget Clavey, Byron Snellings, Big Denny Mack, um, William Truax. Is Denny from this area? I saw him at a, a picture of him. Uh, he posted at a Bengals game a long time oh, ago. He? Yeah, so I don't know if he's originally from out. here, but hey, Denny, let us know what's going on. Um, Angie, Angie Cobes, Amber Croup with a peanut butter pie. She was bragging about that again. Uh, Gina Spillane and Trixie, Stephanie Quick, Sydney and Michael. Yay, Michael just had a birthday, so happy birthday, Michael. Jamie Tarantino. Hey, Jamie. Laura O'Reilly, Gabby Lewis, uh, Tara V. Bond. Gene Bond. That's right. Lydia, Brandy McBride, Maggie Glover. Maggie Glover, I'm sorry. Jeff Appel, Christine Bourgeois. All right. And Katie. Uh, Moorhead. Katie Moorhead. Lovely Katie. Oh, I just hit my own mic. Lovely. Lady. Lovely Katie Moorhead. Um, Mary Ray. Hey, Mary. We haven't heard from Mary in a while. So post no, something, Mary. Post something so We're we know you're okay, you Mary. Up there in upstate New York. Rebecca Montanle. Hey, Rebecca. Mike Eisenhower. Hey, Mike. Danielle Fredrickson. Valerio Bishop. Nancy Palomino. Hey, Nancy. Kim Kamikaze. Jennifer Hawkins. Tara Nee. Lindsay O'Brien McMillan. 
Sunyana Satish, Eddie Rushing, Yo Handler, Sammy James, Jason Dykes, Amy Carol Payne, Tyra Jenkins, Annette Petrie, Steph Glenn, Naloy Khan, Christina Montana. Hey, Christina. How you doing, Christina? Maria Barber, Jennifer Potts, Cindy Overstreet Hamilton, of course, Paul Mampilli, Mike Arnold, Melissa Dubrano. I always want to make a lube joke out of her name, but I don't. <laughs> Great um, restraint there, Carol. Um, Brittany Powell, Heather Hall, Heather Poole, Jeff Hopkins. Now, we got some new listeners I want oh, to good. give some shout-outs okay. to here, Well, maybe not new listeners, but new to well, our Well, new to our Facebook page. page. Yeah, and our Facebook um, page is History Dweebs, the podcast. If you join us, uh, we interact with everyone there, and it's a great group of people. Yeah, you can learn some very, very disturbing things about the people there. <laughs> yes, you can, but it's fun. Um, I got Ron Radsky, uh, Gatano Sapienza, Kevin Behan, Carol Nash, Sheila May Cebu, Heather Marshall, um, Susanna Sheldon, Caroline Stoffel, Romani, now this is my middle name too, Romani Danger Howard. Your middle name is Danger. Yeah, I don't you're, go by you're, that. You're kind of like Carlos Danger. Yeah. Yeah, uh, t- uh, Anthony Weiner. Yes, his, exactly. Wasn't that his alias? I posted a picture of my thumb on that, by the way, today, Timmy. Oh, good. I'm glad it was your thumb and nothing else. Uh, well, have you noticed I got an exceptionally long thumb, Timmy? No, I, no, I haven't. Um, Genesis I don't Lop- draw anything from that. <laughs> Genesis, Genesis Lopez Alicia, Michael Daniel, um, lovely, lovely, lovely young lady, Radhika, and give me, tell me if I correct, if I get this wrong, Radhika Smith. I think that's right. She's very, she is very lovely, you're right. Um, and of course, a new one, Jim Moria, Jennifer Moria. Yes, thank you, Jen, for your very, you're very kind. As always, she says she's been listening to us for a long time. We cannot skip the lovely Lady Beverly. You better not skip the lovely Lady Kate. Uh, No, I got, oh, Kate McCarthy. Yes. I was just teasing you, Kate. We're really going to get you. You you know who thought of you, Kate. Um, Let's see. Oh, you know who else had a birthday? Oh, we got to get our birthday shout outs. Yes. Well, I got, okay, I got a couple. I had them on the Colonel's crew here. Okay. Um, so let's get to the Colonel squad. We got Angie Ball. Yes. We got Nicola. Yeah. My, my legal, uh, the MS since I have a law degree and you're, you're using her as your counsel, but yeah, but she's, you know what? She just looks like she'd be getting in the courtroom and rip you apart to me. Well, yeah, that's true. Um, and I got my enforcer, Allie. Allie. Who Allie had a birthday. It, she did. Happy birthday, Allie. You, did you know, and, and I'll tell you something strange about Allie. Me and Allie are friends on Facebook. Mm. Now, Allie would post these pictures, okay? Mm-hmm. Like, change a profile picture or whatever. Yeah. And I thought they were just kind of like cute pictures that she was pulling off the internet, mm-hmm. you know, and posting. These were pictures of Allie. Yeah. I, I mean, know. she's an adorable woman. She's she a is. beautiful woman. She is, and she's very smart. Very smart. And, and I'll if tell you, you, if you haven't checked out uh, her podcast yet, check it out. It's her Insight. and Charlie. Yeah, her and Charlie. Uh, it's Insight. It's uh, much better than this podcast. Yeah. Much, much better. But I'll tell you, the thing about Ali is she's scary ass crazy, Timmy. Well, she is Australian. 
Yeah, she is Australian. And I and Miss Montana, Teresa I believe. Is Did too. you say Teresa Slavens? Teresa Slavens, I got her. Okay. Um let's see we um we got little Sarah Mimosa. Well, Karen um, Barnes. Jennifer Burdick, mm-hmm. who had her birthday. Yes, happy birthday, Jennifer. And Karen Barnes. Yes. Um, the two Irish lasses, Janet Fitzgerald and Frances Doughton. Did and you say I did Cindy Lou. I did not get to uh, run into. I thought maybe I was up in Chicago and I'd run across Jessica Williams. Yeah. Hey, Jessica. You know, because it's, it's a real small city up there, and I yeah, thought I'd I mean, just be walking yeah, out in the street. I'd run into somebody at the shop and say, "Hey, aren't you Jessica like, Williams from like the Mayberry page? up there?" Yeah, exactly. What about Big John Holmes? You didn't give him a shout out. Big John Holmes. Okay, let me write that one down because I got my got okay. straighten out my list. Um, Amanda Bocce Ball, of course. Of course. Um, and Shannon. Shannon is just out doing the Lord's work. She is. 24 uh, 7. With uh, Amnesty stops. International doing yeah, God's she, work. Thank you very much, Shannon. Yes, yeah, so that's. And I got the lovely, lovely Lady Beverly. I've already covered Sully. He deserves his own shout out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, the one and only Dottie Scott. Thank you, Mom. You're Thank providing you, Dottie. these nice microphones for us. These microphones seem to be working out real good. Now, you got to be careful with them because I tend to bump yeah, into mine. And I know I do, too. So we'll get, we'll get used to them. We'll get used to them. And, but we, we seem like, we feel like professionals. We might yeah. not act like professionals. We don't sound like We don't them. sound like professionals. Our, our material is pretty good, but we don't really present our it well. Our material is absolutely awesome. Our material is awesome. We did just, you say Jahara? I would. I would not want Jahara. I did not. I, because I thought you always got well, Jahara. I got, in yours. Yeah, she did. She's on our uh, Patreon list. Jahara and Jahara sent me a message on Thanksgiving, wishing me a th- happy Thanksgiving. Uh, it was a very, she's very lovely. Sweet. She's over in Italy, I think. Uh, I believe she's in Spain too. Oh, is she? I know she's in Europe. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Where can people find us, uh, Colonel? Well, the best place to find us is on iTunes. If um, you, on iTunes. iTunes. And we, what we really love is if you could give us a review on iTunes. Yes. All you got to do is click on a little picture of our show, and it'll say a spot for reviews, and you can read them. And then it'll say leave review, and you can leave one. Um, we would really, really appreciate that because that's how people find us. Now, some people have said we want the whole – you can go to Libsyn and do a search for history dweebs. Mm-hmm. And you can find a whole back catalog on there. I can't believe you forgot Brian Snelling. You forgot Francis Dalton. You forgot no, I M. Fran- I got Francis M. Dalton. Waterfall. M. Waterfall. Timmy. William Trowell. I got Scott. William. You I forgot William. Scott. Scott, my, my right-hand man. I don't know what you're doing. Uh, yes, so you can find us on uh, Facebook. We have two pages. We have the History Reads page, which we post. Uh, we update sometimes. Uh, it's just with real history stuff. And then History Reads the Podcast, and um, that's where we interact with all of our listeners. Um, so we encourage you to join that group. It's History Reads the Podcast on Facebook. Um, shout out to my friend Sherry. Shout out to Fat Boy Gardener, who is neither fat, fat boy, nor a boy yeah, or a gardener. Yeah. Um, and I've got a couple messages recently uh, from listeners. Someone wants to be on our show. Uh, we don't do that only because... Um, 
we found... Uh, we don't going, know how to do things remotely. <laughs> well, doing it through Skype and doing it through the telephone, uh, the, the sound quality is just horrible. So we don't do that. But thank you uh, for volunteering to come on. Um, and I'm sorry, I don't have his name right now, but I'll look it up and get it next time. Uh, but you can also find us on Twitter at History Dweebs one That's where Fatboy Gardner uh, follows us. And um, I can't think of anything else. Can you, Colonel? I cannot. And um, Jeff Chestnut had to suffer through a game with me last Our night. Our good friend Jeff Chestnut down there in Dominica. Yeah, the Broncos blew one last night. Yeah, well, so. you can't win them all. But no, that's I think I believe I covered everybody, and this was a it was nice doing a uh, real podcast with you, as close as we're gonna get. To yeah, a real it's podcast really, it really and, is. Thank you, everyone, for joining us, and we'll see you next time on History Dweebs. Good day, listeners. Bye, everyone. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.